podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Welcome to Red Inca on 99.94, the home of cricket audio. Download our app for all our podcasts and commentaries. Our shows include Double Century on the history of the game. West Indies on 99.94 is cricket's best Caribbean coverage. India on 99.94 has considered analysis from two professionals. England on 99.94 has the north and south of the game covered. South Africa on 99.94 is a forensic look at cricket in the Rainbow Nation. And Sri Lanka on 99.94 is our newest member. Find them all where you listen to podcasts or YouTube or just download our app. Welcome to Red Inca, which is part of the 99.94 Network. I'm Jared Kimber. This podcast has adverts, but if you prefer your podcast without, in the show notes you'll see the link to my Patreon page and you can listen to our chats uninterrupted. Patreon also comes with many other benefits as well, including a Discord channel and private chats with me. But now, the show. This episode of Red Inca, we talk about the fast men from South Africa and why they always seem to have so damn many. And for that, we get on a wannabe quick. Daniel Gallen, I'm a freelance cricket journalist. I work for The Guardian and The Telegraph, Cricket Monthly, and whoever else is paying. We chat meat-eating, proper Dutchman, private schools, skills, conditions, and how spinners are salad. I've got you one to talk about raw meat-eating Africanas, which is where you start one of your more recent pieces with The Guardian about uh, fast bowlers in South Africa. Take me through the raw meat-eating Africanas. And I, I, was it Athers who said it on, on air? I'm trying to remember. No, it was, was it Jonathan Agnew who said it? It was Jonathan Agnew and it was Andy Zoltzman. It was during the second ODI between South Africa and England in Manchester. I don't know when it was, a few weeks back. And they were wondering why there's a, a seemingly endless supply of South African FOS bowlers uh, dating back Certainly, well, they were talking about it in since readmission from Alan Donald to Farney de Villiers, Apollo, Contini, Stain, Morkel, and now this, this impressive base, pace battery that has just dismantled England. And it was a throwaway comment from Jonathan Agnew, but he said, oh, it must be the endless supply of raw meat-eating Afrikaners. Naturally, that got a few laughs and things like steam position and, and bouncy wickets and favorable conditions were sort of cast aside as three people on commentary with their very British accents spoke about South Africa in these very simplistic and, and frankly pejorative terms. And um, it was a line that was cut from the piece, but it, I couldn't help but think of mustachioed imperialists twirling their facial hair in, in pith helmets, planning their next raid on the Boer Republic. And it just got me thinking, apart from getting me a little pistol, and I tweeted about it and, and a few of my Afrikaans followers got very angry about it. They certainly do not like it when, when the English are, are cynical or, or, or deride or reduce the Afrikaans community to knuckle-dragging thugs, essentially. Um, I thought, okay, well, this is a great opportunity to explore exactly why South Africa have uh, an impressive bowling attack. Since 1992, four of the top 10 wicket-taking seamers are South African. Broad and Anderson provide two of the English. No other country have has more than one in the top 10 in this time. In that time, they've got the best average, the best strike rate. And 
batters in South Africa have a lower average in this time than I think of anyone else apart from Ireland to have staged more, to have staged a test match. So clearly, whether it's the, the amount of biltong these guys are eating or anything else, since South Africa rejoined test cricket, they've got the best fast bowlers. The interesting thing about the, that is when you're in South Africa, I remember Sean Pollock um, uh, telling me that Neil Wagner was a proper Dutchman. And, and, then we, and then I think that was probably Norkia's kind of breakthrough series. I think he struggled in India in his first test series and then played well against England. Um, and then he, he said a similar thing about Norkia. So it's that kind of attitude of, especially when you talk about the African, uh, you know, fast bowlers. You know, I used to write it, this before I even knew about the sort of African legacy of fast bowling, but I used to write that Andre Nell would, uh, you know, uh, bowl uh, uphill into a wind with a piano on his back. Um, mm. You know, there is that sort of there is that sort of thing. But the thing is that not all these bowlers are actually Afrikaners. In fact, uh, I, I'm, I'm going to put it out there, Ver Vernon Philander and Kagisa Rabada are not particularly, and some of them are very English as well. So it's not just this Afrikaners thing. But there is, I, I think it's fair to say, there is a reputation within South African that Afrikaner men, big, broad-shouldered, you know, sort of guys do have a, what, is it a different mindset? Is that, or is it a different physicality? I don't really know, but they do have a different reputation than other South African men, even if, you know, uh, it's all kind of gets away in the wash when you come away from South Africa. Yeah, I think, look, it was, it was Sean Lang, like I said, it was Sean Langenfeld who, who called Honor uh, a proper Dutchman, the Dutchman being a derivative, well, a Dutchman being a hangover of the, of the Dutch colonists to sort of birth the Afrikaans culture. I think it matters who's saying it. Mm. Charles Langefeld, a, a, a colored man and colored, uh, for those who don't know, uh, could loosely be described as mixed race in South Africa, although it's like a capital C. It's not, it's not the way Americans would use the word, the term colored. Charles Langefeld, a colored man, his, his ancestors were oppressed by Afrikaans people and English speaking white people. So I think him using the term is a little different than, uh, Jonathan Agnew with his Oxbridge accent. I think, I think it, it sort of resonates in the air a little differently, but. Look, it's, it's not entirely wrong, is it? I spoke to Anna Donald for this piece that, that has kicked off our conversation and he rightly points out that you need to be a physically imposing character to bowl fast. You, you mentioned Bernard Philander, he was never quick, but I'm looking at James Anderson, Glenn McGrath, Stuart Broad, Dale Stain, Sean Pollock, Wakai and Tini. These are, are, are impressive athletes and you've got to be fit. You've got to be strong. You've got to be tall. You've got to be lithe. And the Afrikaans community, like many communities around the world, take great pride in their physical prowess. It's partly why the South African Springboks rugby team has won three World Cups. And, you know, the South African ethos is our big guy will beat your big guy. And he won't necessarily beat it through skill or a hot sidestep. He's going to run over you and you're not going to be able to run over us. And that psychology translates into, into the cricket a little less so because for so long cricket was was the game of the white english speaking population um it's also got you know the the indian south asian population of uh, played a lot and, and so does the colored community you know slightly smaller frame so it, it's it's less so there but i i think i think you're right jared i think i think there is something to it where that raw meat eating africana so that that mindset as well as the physical prowess does influence the proliferation of, of Afrikaans quicks. I mean, Andre Kokia is the only white member of the, of, of, of Andre Kokia and Marco Janssen are the only two white members of, of the 
of the bowling arsenal and they are both Afrikaans. Is that a coincidence? Um, you know, maybe not. But then when you do start to look at it, it's quite clearly, I, I, and I'm not saying that there isn't a proud tradition within the Afrikaans community of fast bowlers, sort of a, a modern, modern proud tradition. And, and South Africa certainly had fast bowlers before the Afrikaans community got involved. You know, Peter Pollock and Neil Adcock and Mike Proctor and, you know, all those sorts of, you know, guys that came through originally. But when you do look at it, a bit like South Africa itself, it's not like, I suppose the best way of putting it, it's not like a, a region of Kenya that produces long distance runners or, you know, or Jamaica producing sprinters or anything like that. The ethnic background of these people is so diverse that it has to be more to do with conditions um, and probably maybe training and also maybe mindset than anything to do with uh, the Afrikaans community directly, even if they have a tradition within that tradition. I'd like, like, you know, a, a, a separate tradition inside the broader one, if that makes sense. Yeah, of course. And, 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 it's, and it's even harder to say that, it, well, it's just conditions, right? Because if every single wicket, every single region of the country produced faster balancing wickets, you could say, okay, well, someone from Cape mm. Town or someone from Durban would, would be able to produce that as well. But Vernon Philander grew up in the semen wickets of Cape Town. Sean Pollock grew up in Kozunu Natal, the Durban region that isn't necessarily very bouncy and, and as quick as, as Pretoria or Johannesburg or, or Bloemfontein, where, where Anna Donald came from. So I, I, conditions obviously play a role. Um, we know that, it, that like Australian surfaces, it, it offers a lot more bounce, but it also offers scene movement more so than, mm. than Australia. So it's almost a, the South African bowling conditions are, are, are quite a hybrid. They, they offer the bounce and pace and carry, which any fast bowler loves, but they also offer scene movements. And I think that lateral seam movement means that bowlers have to figure out different ways of, of, of getting batters out and they have to adjust their lengths as they go around the country. So if you are successful on the domestic circuit, say you're Sean Pollock, you're growing up in KZN, you have to hit a different length in Durban, you have to hit a different length in Joburg, you have to hit a different length in Cape Town, but you still have to hit it quick. And I think that's the difference between Australia and, and England. So in Australia, I imagine you can hit the same length around the country, maybe the Gabba a little bit different, but you could probably hit more or less the same length and you can hit it hard. Whereas in England, maybe I'm wrong. I mean, you'll know, you'll know more than me, but I think, I think, I think the, the, the perfect storm of the variety of, of pitches in South Africa isn't so extreme like it is here in, in the UK, but mm. they disparate enough that it, that it, it broadens the skill set of the bowler. So if you can come through the domestic setup taking wickets, I think you're, well-suited to taking wickets around the world, perhaps more so than any other bowler from another country. Well, I think, it, let's look at the five major countries who I suppose outside of Asia who have produced really good fast bowlers, right? So New Zealand and England, generally you have very, you have bowlers who pitch it up and you don't have a lot of very fast bowlers who are consistently successful, right? And that's because it's really a skill-based conditions and so you do end up with a lot of bowlers who are far more skillful um, and maybe sometimes struggle to translate outside of, of their country. New Zealand's worked their way around that. England hasn't, right? I always thought that West Indian bowlers had a huge advantage because they had to play on ragging pitches one week and then they had to you know, play on you know, Sabina Park the next week, right? So if you're going around the Caribbean and you're bowled you know, one spell in St. Lucia, one spell in Guyana and one spell in, in Jamaica, three completely different. Uh, you know, uh, uh, pitches and, and, and ways that you have to bowl. Australia, if you look at the way since the front foot no ball has happened, what's happened is bowls in Australia just keep getting taller and taller and taller. Now, 
everywhere mm. in the world that's happened. But I think in Australia, you probably have the most consistently tall bowling lineups in the world. And that, you know, that probably goes back to Bruce Reed. Um, you know, it's been a long time since Australia's had, a, you know, shorter fast bowlers, right? Even if they're slower, sometimes they're, they're, they're a little bit taller. I think the one difference is in Australia, spinners still feel, even, even if the numbers don't always back it up, spin is pushed in Australia so that you always want to have a spinner. There's always a thought to look after the spinners. South Africa, after readmission, I mean, spin is such an afterthought, right? You know, the cricket mm -hmm. world has changed. South Africa has changed. They come back in. And I think that in South Africa, maybe what you, because you don't have that genuine bounce, you probably have to produce people who are quick because they have to be able to scare people a little bit. And then you also need that ability. I mean, Rabada is a perfect thing. Sometimes I think about Rabada and, and I'm like, I don't actually know what his main skill set is. Mm, right. Mm. And you think about that and you go, that's ridiculous because he might end up being, you know, one of the greatest bowlers in test cricket history if he keeps playing the game. Right. But you, there's no obvious skill set there. Whereas if you look at the Australian bowlers who were the most comparable to South Africans, it's like, we knew exactly what Glenn McGrath did. We knew exactly what Pat Cummins did. We knew exactly what Mitchell Stark did, what Mitchell Johnson did. They're really obvious, their skills. They're almost one dimensional is the wrong way of putting it, but it's like, oh, they're good because of this. Whereas with Rabadi, like, well, he could swing it, but he could seam it, and he's fast, and he can put the ball in where he wants to, but he's not that accurate, and he's not that tall. Mm -hmm. He's got, like, a little bit of all these different things. And I wonder if that is one of the, the – if, if you take the, those two main things we've talked about, the, the variety of the pitches, the fact that they're maybe a bit like the old West Indies days, we have so – especially now, where you have pitches that spin in South Africa even more so, right? Um, so you have all this variety, and then – they're not throwing the ball to the spinners. So you have to be able to bowl that third and fourth big spell. Whereas in Australia, you, even if you've just got an average spinner in your team, you're probably going to get them to do the bulk of the work and the quicks will go at the other end. So that does feel to me to be a unique situation when it comes to conditions, but also the mindset around pace is, you know, is important and spin bowling is salad. Sorry to go mm. back to the raw meeting the Afrikaners bit there, but you know what I mean? No, I like I like that. I, I spin bowling is salad. Well, we've got some... We've got some of the best vegans in, 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 in our history with uh, Keshav Maharaj and Simon Harmer talking about, although I can, I can assure you Simon Harmer is not a vegetarian. Um, but yeah, <laughs> but Jared, that, it's, it's an interesting point. Just to, sorry, just to go on that, yeah. that's all mm. in the last couple of years when the pitches have changed again, though, isn't it? Mm. Right? So Quite before right, but, that, yeah. But the fast-bowling heritage, I mean, you could argue if had Paul Anikov broken his finger, he, he may have left a greater impression on, mm -hmm. on world cricket. Um, I, I don't buy the theory that, that batters had had worked him out. He, he was still developing variation when he, by the time he broke his finger and he just got a ninth in Sri Lanka or Bangladesh or somewhere. So I, I, I think he could have, he could have carried on. Maybe that's a conversation for another time. But I spoke, you know, getting back to the conversation I had with Alan Donald, I think a part of this was the bit with Vincent Barnes, the high performance manager for South Africa who has worked as a fast bowling coach at various levels. And he said something interesting that Spinners, every spinner, South African spinner I've spoken to has always bemoaned the fact that when they were growing up, they'd bowl one bad over and a bad over just, it's just one that goes for 10, let's say, not even, not even one that gets tonked for many. But if you can hit for double figures in and over, the likelihood of your captain or coach pulling you off, and I'm talking about like between the ages of 13 and 17, let's say, are really high. A fast bowler, if you know he can bowl quick, can almost get hit for six fours. But you're still tossing the ball as long as he was bowling quick. If he was bowling half bangers and getting pulled, or he was bowling full, uh, half volleys and getting driven, but they were at gas, that's fine. 
in pace we trust. If he's bowling line and length and 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 going at I don't know seven, eight and over, but it's not very quick. Okay, well he's not taking wickets. Well, what is the spin? What is the seamer doing? We don't really understand him. I mean, that's why. I mean, Vernon Philander probably should have should have had an extra four years of international cricket. He should have been in the side four years earlier. He just had to get a million wickets in domestic cricket before it's like, all right, fine. We'll get this chubby slow bowler into the side because we have to. But if Vernon Philander was doing those numbers at pace, we would be talking about a, a prodigy, right? Mm. But instead, it's even now, you know, so when South African cricket, when South African cricket fans come up with their, their best 11 since readmission, some people still don't have Vernon Philander in the side because he wasn't quick, because he wasn't knocking guys' heads off. So there is a mindset in South African sports, but we'll talk about cricket where to steal a, a line from, from another podcast, you got to be the alpha. You got to be the macho guy. You got to be Graham Smith with your chest out and you got to have a nickname like this and stick your chin out and, and, and look at the Aussie journalists and tell them that you're going to come and kick their back door in. You, you got to be Jacques Cullis who catches pigeons and, and speaks out of the side of his mouth. You got to be Dale Stane who does the chainsaw celebration. You, you can't just be a, a, a dibbly dobbling consistently probing bowler unless you're also bowling quick. Um, and it's a great shame. I mean, I, I'm kind of talking myself in circles here, but I do think of Bernard Philander's career and think, well, can you, imagine that? can you imagine he was English or even Australia? I think Australia probably has more of a, well, if he was Australian, he probably wouldn't have made it in, on the domestic scene. But if he was hmm. a Kiwi or English or from any other country, I, I think he would have had a longer career. And it's a, it's a shame because he was obviously spectacular. So Jan, I've completely forgotten if there was a question there. Uh, maybe you There's can no help me out. This is just you and I chatting. This is just you and I riffing. No, I, I think that's interesting because I think Australia probably missed out on Chad Sayers um, and probably missed out on other skillful bowlers in their time. But they had the ability to do to to pick someone like Josh Hazelwood. And Josh Hazelwood is basically Sean Pollock, right? Uh, slightly different bowlers in that, you know, one's a swing bowler and one's more of a seam bowler. And Josh Hazelwood's maybe almost a combination between Sean Pollock and, uh, and Glenn McGrath. But, you know... Uh, Josh Hazelwood started as a very quick bowler and sort of worked his way back, whereas McGrath was probably never that that quick. And Sean Pollock did a similar thing, slightly different than, than Hazelwood. But Hazelwood having those skills at that pace is the sort of thing you see in, in uh, you know, it's what we're talking about, Dale Steyn. So I would say that Pat Cummins is probably the most skillful and accurate fast bowler we've ever had, right? But the, the two that come to mind before then are both South African, and that's uh, Alan Donald and Dale Steyn. And the only reason they're not as accurate as Pat Cummins is because they swung the ball um, and he mm. seems it. And it's much easier to be accurate when you're seeming it because you don't have to worry about it, you know, leaving your hand. And we know that that was one of Donald's big problems at times. But mm. I think that that's that what South Africa are going towards is probably what Australia have gone to almost separate. It's, it hasn't been inspired by South Africa because they would never admit it even if it was true. But, but that whole thing of trying to combine... 90 mile an hour with that skill is probably why you see four South Africans in the, in, in that list that you were talking about before, of you know, the top scene bowlers uh, in the world, because they do have the ability to combine a couple of different skills at the same time. Um, you, you talked to Alan Donald for, for this piece, his background would be vastly different. Well, certainly than Makaya and Tini's, but then a, a lot of other people here. So, is it something to do with the school systems and the training? I, I would assume, and you correct me if I'm wrong, Dale Steyn and Vernon Philander both went to middle, mid-level South African schools rather than the, the, the high schools. And Mornay Morkel 
it comes completely out outside of the school system. But the majority of the fast bowlers probably still went through um, the school system at one point. There's certainly Rabada um, and Donald um, did. Yeah, Ngidi as well. Um, I, do, I don't think Enric Nokia, um, and I believe that Janssen did. I, I stand to be corrected on Janssen. Certainly Kessim on Horizon. Yeah, I, I mean, the school system's an interesting one. Um, Certainly, a, a a massive, still a massive reliance on on the on the school system. Certainly for the batters, uh, much like here in the UK, uh, where 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 I'm based, and but there's a difference because uh, according to Tim Whitmore and um, in, in in his excellent book, uh, Cricketomics, he shows that there is a disparity between the reliance between batting and bowling and their reliance on on the elite schools in South Africa. The the, that reliance on the elite schools is still the same for batters and bowlers. Conditions, nutrition, gym work, but but also also just a, 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 a exposure. I think a lot of selectors and Vincent Barnes has told me this as well is that you go to these trials and there'll be a guy bowling at I don't know 120 at age group level, 125 at age group level. The first thing someone's going to ask is what school does he go to? Not. How many wickets did he get? What club does he play for? It's what school does he go to? And so often, if that if that answer is not the right one, that person doesn't really get a look in. They'll really have to tear the house down and 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 get a set. For every seven wickets that person that that person takes, the the person who went to the private school can take four, for example. So I think I think there's still a, a an elite school bias. But Jack, I just want to kind of remind remind the listeners that it wasn't that long ago that. South Africa were, were the last time South Africa played England when England came and, and won three one in South Africa. The bowling lineup for that fourth test was was an aging Vernon Philander who probably should have already been on his way out. Bjorn Hendricks who got tonked, Arne Nokia mm. who took his first five in that in that in that match, Dane Patterson who got tonked, and Dwayne Pretorius who was a he handy seamer, but you know he's no Marco Janssen, is he? So the fifth bowler, yeah, as the fifth bowler, yeah, that's right. But if we're going to look at the four, Philander, Hendricks, Nokia, Patterson. Yes, Rabada was out because he uh, he screamed in Joe Root's face in, in Port Elizabeth, and and Ngini was injured. But there isn't there isn't this great. There was at, at least then people were asking, well, where what has happened to South Africa's pace battery? Um, where are the likes of Stain and 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 Donald and Pollock? Is this the is this the end of a great tradition? So it kind of helps when you've got a a, a young kid who's two meters tall and bowls the left arm and can bring it back into the right hander. You know, that, that completely rounds it up. You've got Kapisa Rabado, who is at the peak of his powers. Not, he's still screaming, but just not in people's faces. You've got Loki Ngidi, who's really shorn up his fitness. He, he's, I think, think Ngidi is stuck trying to be lean and just embrace that he's a, a heavy dude. And he's, you know, fine, I'll be the, the, the bowler with the big bum and the big thighs, but I'll just watch what I eat and I'll make sure that my, that my core stays strong. He doesn't have to be lean and, and light. And Arnik Nokia, who... I think has surprised a lot of people, myself included, and become the skillful bowler that he is. We always knew he was going to be quick, but I mean, he he isn't just this brute who, who bowls fast. He's got an RPL gig. You don't you don't get that from just bowling fast. You got to have a slower ball. You got to have a knuckle ball. You got to have a back of the hand ball. You got to be able to vary your length, which Nokia does now very well. So it'd be remiss of me to say, oh well, this is just an inevitable progression of of South Africa's great heritage. Golden generations are sometimes. The result of luck, and and if we are in the midst of what, look, the, the FTP might have something to say about this. But if we are in the midst of what, or at the start of what would be a a, a golden generation of South African fast bowling, 
it is as much a, a, of a consequence of, of luck and, and fortune and timing as it is South Africa's great heritage. Yeah. Uh, one thing I would just add to that, of course, is they probably missed out on what Kyle Abbott, Dwayne Olivier, Marcin mm. Delang. Uh, I know he's, you know, but there was probably mm. a, um, uh, what would you say? Uh, the, the second tier bowlers, when you, when you, ha when Rabada is injured and Nagidi is injured, you know, was, was a problem back then. But, but, but you're not wrong. I still think though, a couple of years ago, we probably, you and I were probably sitting down going, where does this South African team go? There's still kind of no batting. <laughs> it's, hmm. it's, it's, it's not bad batting, but it's, it's thin and it feels like it can fall apart at any stage. They're playing five frontline bowlers, which is worked in that last test, obviously, but is not probably a consistent way of winning um, going forward. You know, they, brought Pretorius back and now they, they seem a little bit unsure in him. And to be honest, I'm not sure he shores up the number seven batting position any more than Marco Janssen's dodgy batting does. So the actual team is still a little bit up and down, but you do look at that bowling lineup and it doesn't matter what format of bowling uh, you're looking at. And you're just like, well, you know, whether it be the spinners or the pace bowlers, there's a lot there to, to choose from. And I want to go back to Norkia because I find him really, really interesting. First time I saw him bowl, I must have seen him bowl a couple of spells in India and he bowled absolutely gun barrel straight at about 90 miles an hour in the heat. And I was like, okay, he does that. I watched him in the IPL this year. He bowled, I'm trying to remember all the different, he bowled a back of the hand slow ball, a cutter. I'm trying to remember if he bowled a knuckleball as well. I think he's got another slow ball. He's, he's got a knuckleball, maybe he bowled then, but he, but he definitely has one. I think he's got the knuckleball since then. I think you're right. He bowls a wobble ball. Uh, he could swing it. Every time I watch him bowl, he's got an added skill set. And I, mm. again, I want I, I feel like there's something within the training of all these guys. So I've I've got the list here, right? So Alan Donald, Dale Stane, Sean Pollock, Macarantini, Rabada, Vernon Philander. That's just off the top of my head. I probably missed a couple uh, of, of very good ones there. Outside of Antini, who probably was bowling. Uh, he was bowling wide of the crease well before it was in, in fashion, and it turns out now it's the better way to bowl. So we now under maybe that explains a lot of his success. Mm. Almost everyone else there has incredible skill, right? And that is something that I don't think if, if you look at Mitchell Stark and Mitchell Johnson, so two supremely talented bowlers who've won Australia big events and and big moments, you wouldn't say that either of them completely knew what they were doing. Right, and Australia is the other. You know, out, now that the West Indies and uh, have passed on, Australia is the other fast bowling place. Right, West West Indies not the same, and Pakistan has moments and and sort of flashes, but maybe consistently not always there. So Australia and mm. South Africa are kind of there um, at, at the front. The Australian fast bowlers seem to be incredibly tall, uh, and they seem to have, as I said before, specific skills. The interesting thing is that from Alan Donald all the way through to, well, I suppose Nokia at the moment. Just the incredible skills. Even if you compare Marco Janssen to Bruce, Bruce Reed, Marco Janssen seems to have everything that Bruce Reed has, plus an extra yard of pace, plus he can swing the ball more, right? They just keep getting these little things. So if it's not schooling is and, and it's not completely conditions-based, what do you think it is about the South African bowling setup since readmission that has allowed for this? How much of this is Alan Donald was... There weren't many 90-mile-an-hour bowlers before Arnold Donald to begin with. And with all you know, due respect to some of the 90-mile-an-hour bowlers before him, outside of maybe someone like Malcolm Marshall, Michael Holding, very few of them were skillful. Donald was a proper skillful bowler, even if the white ball sometimes slipped out of his fingers. 
Jeez, Jerry, that that is a fantastic question. I think there's a whole article for that. For, for that yeah, for that. It, it is a whole <laughs> article for that. <laughs> Without dipping into the weird uh, and, and and problematic subject of, of of eugenics, because and also that that's completely irrelevant because South Africa, as you said, are, are completely multicultural and multiracial. There is just something about the South African weather, the open spaces, the our, our cities are are, are Big, but the schools are sort of dotted around in the suburbs where th- th- there's just enough people to make it competitive, but not too many that talent gets lost in the in the in the ecosystem. You know, it's almost a, a perfect breeding ground for talent. And someone will come and, and develop a slow ball, and there'll be enough people that will see, okay, well that guy, if that guy's got, and this I'm talking about a school level now. Someone at Kez, for example, develops, starts bowling a slow ball and it gets the guys, it gets the top order of St. John's, two big schools in Johannesburg. Someone slow ball gets, runs through St. John's. That St. John's bowler is going to think, oh, okay, I like that. He's going to go away to his academy and then there'll be the guy from St. Stithians who will see that. And then that guy from St. Stithians will go and play a week down in Durban and the guy at Durban High School will see it. The elite schools rub shoulders just enough that there's a, a, a transaction of ideas and, and they're pushing each other, almost like how the old Roman, why was the old Roman Republic so good? Because these, these young aristocrats were, were hungry and just wanted to be at the top of the food chain. And I think that's, that's the case of South African sport. And we value that. In South African society, you could go to a, a, a first 15 rugby match on a Saturday morning and there'll be more people watching that than will be watching the professional team, the Lions at Ellis Park Rugby Stadium. Cricket at school doesn't have the same cachet, but it's not too far behind. It matters. People look at the scorecards. Oh, Graham Smith went to, went to King Edward and he made X amount of runs. Well, I'm going to send my son to King Edward because I want him to be the next Graham Smith. There's a, there's an importance. There's, there's a, there's a, there's a self-aggrandizing mythology around the school system and the school ecosystem and the school infrastructure that is aided by the weather, that is aided by the, the wide open spaces, that is aided by something that distinguishes from, from England that the elite schools in South Africa aren't necessarily from the upper crust. They're not necessarily wealthy. You know, there are a lot of state schools like King Edward, um, like Durban High School that, that Kesha Maharaj went to. I'm trying to think of the ones in Cape Town. There, there, there are many uh, Pretoria boys, Uffies, the, that, that AB and Fuff and, and Heiner Kuhn went to. That's a state school. So you, 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 even though you're pulling from, a, from, a particular, from quite a thin pool, as it were, you are pulling from working class kids, from kids from the farm, kids from the township who are, who are fortunate enough to get a, to get a, a scholarship. So I think that melding of ideas churns out different sorts of players. You know, we think of, of like the, the England top order batters. They all seem very cookie cutter. And it's like England are just hoping that one of the hundred kids that, that graduate from this year, one of them will have natural gifts because we've all pushed them through the same mold. Whereas I think what South African school does, school system does, is that it produces many talented players who are very different from each other. So yes, you could look at Rabada and Ngidi and Nokia and Janssen, and they all do what they do very well, but they're all very different. Mm. You know, if, if every single, Khis Rabada is, is an absolute superstar, but if all four bowlers were doing the exact same thing, that would diminish his potency. I, and I think, I think that's, that's, that's pro- part of the England's problem. There's just too many players who are good, but sort of do the same thing. That's why, that's why they're so reliant on Stokes, Bearstone Root, because they do something different. Their bowling is basically the same. So I think 
I think there's something about the, the South African system that it, it promotes talent, but it does so in different ways. And, and it has room for the tall lefty that brings it in, for Ngidi's sort of nibbly, wobbly, back-of-the-length stuff, for Nokia's rapid pace, and for Rabada's, well, he does everything well, but we don't know exactly what he is. He's mm. just good. So I, I think, I, yeah, I think, I think that school system definitely deserves a lot of credit. Well, it, it's interesting because outside of probably modern Australian cricket, I don't think there are that many fast bowling systems, if that makes sense. So Australia over the last 15, 20 years certainly gone towards that. After struggling to find fast bowlers for a long time, to be fair as well, you know, sort of late 80s, early 90s, not getting as many fast bowlers and then sort of, you know, Gillespie and Lee comes on and then on the back of that you get Cummins and Pattinson and, uh, you know, um, Stark and, and Mitchell Johnson and Ryan Harris. But mostly in most cricket cultures, fast bowlers kind of come from outside the main hubs of cricket, right? So if mm. you think in England, you have to come from the north to begin with, and you probably have to be working class, whereas the batters are probably more from the south and, you know, are more privately educated. You know, in places like Sri Lanka, they find kids on the beach, you know, in, in, in South Africa, sorry, in India and Pakistan, again, it's kids on the street, right? Oh, I wonder if South Africa, the reason that we, it's a combination of the fast bowlers is obviously the physicality. It's obviously the pitches, right? That, that Those two things have to help. And we haven't even talked about the fact that, you know, fast bowlers have a lower average in South Africa than anywhere else yet. But, mm. but you know, those things all make sense. But then that that matching with skill. And if you think of like Makaya and Tini and Mornay Morkel might be two of the, I don't, I, I don't want to say less skilled and, and like sound like I'm sledging them because what they both did was incredible. But they were sort of like, you know, they were skilled in a particular way that helped them get a lot of test wickets, whereas they probably didn't have the ability to swing the ball in and out whenever they needed to and, and you know, bowl a cutter and bowl all those different kinds of deliveries, right? Those have come from completely outside of any sort of schooling system, right? Mm. And yet mm. most of the others have at one stage or another gone to a school with probably a good cricket master, probably good conditions where it's passed on in a way that, before Australia really started picking, you know, finding 15-year-olds who could bowl 80 miles an hour, they didn't really have that kind of system. So it is even un it is even a unique system separate to Australia in that there is something there and it's not accidental. And that's why I go back to Nokia and you put Rabada in this as well. It's just that he's been around for longer. But their ability to dismiss you with so many different skill sets for a fast bowler that Partly, this is the natural evolution of cricket, right? You see it in baseball. The, the, in the old days, you had guys who were, who were slow and skillful, and then you had fast pitchers. And now you have the fast pitchers have incredible skills as well. So it's a natural evolution. But it does feel like this has happened in South Africa earlier on. And I don't know if it is something to do with that school system um, because the best athletes are getting access to the best training in a way that perhaps hasn't happened in other cricket cultures when you're looking at the best fast bowlers. But the whole thing is, there's no answers here. Dan. You've yeah. written a piece, yeah. well, you and I have talked yeah. for 40 minutes. There's no answers, but the, it is a fascinating subject, isn't it? Yeah, and, and you know what? There's, there's something just so primal, and, and, I, and I hope we never come up with, a, with, with, an exact, with an exact answer because there's something so primal. I mean, I love fast bowling. If, if I could go back and, and engineer my entire life, all I'd want to do is be six foot four and be able to bowl rockets. It looks, looks like, the best thing in the world. If, if I could just be a fast bowler who could scare a test quality batter, that's all I want to do in my life. I don't want to play a guitar solo. I don't want to sing. I don't want to be able to run 100 meters very quick. I just want to bowl fast. Unfortunately, I'll never be able to do that. And I hope, like I said, I hope we never come up with that answer because I like that it's intangible. I like that, that 
that South Africa is good at fast bowling because just because they are. Yes, we can we can get close and say, well, it's the school system, it's the weather, it's genetics, it's it's um, the South African macho aggression on the field that is a, a a manifestation of our national insecurity. So when we're playing for our country, we want to try and forget about the rampant crime and, and state corruption and the lights that don't work. So we're going to knock your head off and then we're going to bowl an in-swinger to take your stuff off the ground. Perhaps that's something to do with it. I don't, I don't know. Maybe maybe life is too good in New Zealand to produce boss uh, <laughs> bonus. Maybe maybe that's why Neil Wagner was, was the first guy who came and bowled a bumper because he grew up in, a, in, in South Africa. I don't know. And like I say, it's, it's, it's nice that we have this bewildering, scary thing that we could look at the numbers and say, okay, well, empirically, South Africans are great at it. But unlike everything else, we, we can't exactly put our finger on why. And, and, and I like that. I like that this podcast started talking about South African bowlers and ended up slagging off New Zealand for no reason. Thanks for coming on. <laughs> no worries. Always happy to come on. Thanks for listening to Red Inca on 99.94. For more information about us, go to 99.94dm.com. Remember to download our app or just search for West Indies, India, England, South Africa, and Sri Lanka with the search term 99.94 where you find podcasts or on YouTube. There is more information on my guests in the show notes. Please support them where you can, but also support us. If you can't help out on Patreon, every single review, share, or word of mouth suggestion to your friend helps us. However, this podcast is made available by the people who support us at Patreon, so thank you to all of those who do. There is a link to the Patreon in the show notes. Red Inker is made by me, Jared Kimber. Nick McCorriston makes the best audio anyone can from random Zoom calls. We also have a great support team from 42, with Rati Joshi on socials, Orijoti Senapia, and Meda Akam producing some of the shows, and Makunda Banredi as the head of YouTube content. Our theme tune is by The Red Crickets.